Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Congratulations for making it <laughs> into the building. Um, you are hearty souls, and I admire you for it very much. Thank you for being here. We uh, continue uh, this morning in our Advent series this year called These Are a Few of My Favorite Things. And as our video just asked, uh, is it possible God has favorite things, like we have favorite things around the holidays? And the answer is yes. Last week we talked about the fact that God loves a party. And I have heard good reports from some of you about putting this into action immediately. And so, well done. Way to go. And today I want to talk about the fact that God loves to express his love to us. One of his favorite things to do is express his love and acceptance and forgiveness toward us. And so I hope you'll be encouraged by it. We want to take as our reference from the Old Testament minor prophet book of Hosea. I'm going to read from chapter 3, the first five verses there. So if you have your Bibles, you might turn to that passage. Otherwise, we'll project these words on the screen for you. Hosea chapter 3, this is uh, Hosea writing in first person. And we hear this uh, remarkable story of God's work in his life. And we have much to learn from it, I think. So as you're able, would you please stand to hear these important words. The whole context here is about God's call on Hosea to reconcile with his estranged wife. And the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley, then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Now, may God inspire us through this powerful story. You may be seated. Well, we all know Christmas is the anticipated time of the year when family members gather from different corners and celebrate the best that we hold dear in our relationships. I think we understand that. Yet for some, it can also represent an ominous presence. Past hurts, even current relationship pain, can surface in a season like this, making Christmas depressing or lonely. And many people suffer in that way. Nevertheless, the greatest gifts at Christmas are the gifts of family and meaningful friendships, and so we celebrate that. Now, let me ask you this question. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that everyone wants to know he or she is important to someone? That's true, isn't it? All of us have an innate need to know that we're important to someone. Remember fourth grade or about fourth grade when we used to pass notes in class? Remember this? Girls were especially notorious for this. In fourth grade, you get a little note, and it would say something like, I like you. Do you like me? And then there'd be this multiple choice list of things. Check, yes, no, or maybe. Remember those? I hope you do. Unfortunately, uh, what happens uh, in our lives uh, when we reach out for these intimate connections, because we have this strong and powerful need to be loved and accepted and connected with other people. It's the way God has made us. Unfortunately, we're all capable 
in pursuit of those intimate connections to compromise our most fundamental beliefs in order to make those connections happen. And we see it oftentimes in our lives and in other people's lives because this force to belong, this force to connect, this force to pursue intimacy is so powerful, it is so strong in us that we're willing to set aside even our highest values, fundamental values of life, in order to connect in these intimate ways. How else can you explain people who remain in abusive relationships? What, what is the explanation for that? When you look at that from the outside looking in, you think, what is wrong? Why would someone stay in a relationship that's so harmful and painful and destructive? Uh, why is it that, that, that folks will make commitments to people who have uh, conflicting spiritual structures, completely different set of values spiritually than they do, and yet they, they connect and they hang around each other? The reason for this is because the, the force of this desire for intimacy is so grand, it's so great. Now, having said that, most of us struggle with some self-doubt. That's, that's the truth. That's why we tend to layer ourselves as human beings in emotional defenses to protect ourselves from relational pain. Even though we have the strong need for intimacy, we layer ourselves to protect ourselves from the pain that those intimacies may cause. And that can carry over into our relationship with God. And it often does. And I would just submit to you that it happens to all of us in some way or another. Most of us have no problem believing in God. If I ask you this morning, do you believe in God? Probably get a 100% response in the room. Yes, I believe in God. If I ask you this question, do you believe God believes in you? There would at least be some hesitancy from person to person. I believe in God, but does he esteem you? Does he value you? Does he believe in you? And of course, I ask the question not to wonder about the answer because I know the answer and you know the answer intuitively. You do. God does believe in us and he does care for us. But it's easy, isn't it? It's tempting to think, how can God believe in me? How could God ever possibly desire me? We know God knows, yet we run and hide from him. It's the, it's the image of Adam and Eve when they first fail in the garden. What's the first thing they do? They cover themselves and hide. God comes, in, comes into the garden in the next occasion and says, what are you guys hiding behind that bush? Why are you all covered up? What's going on? And I'll just remind you that it is we who run from God. God is never running from us. He is never emotionally detaching himself from us. He is always pursuing us. He is always chasing after us. He is, he is always reaching for us. That's God's design. So anytime we find separation with God, we know that it's not because he has run from us. It's because we are hiding from him. Those insecurities do surface from time to time. Christmas then is the heralding of a God who comes to be with us, who comes to pursue us. The incarnation is the revelation of God's scandalous love affair with humanity. It is the model. It is the illustration. It is the grandest evidence that God does love us because of this amazing pursuit that he has made toward us in sending his only son to the earth, the incarnation that God became flesh, dwelt among us so that we could behold who he is. It's an amazing story. And one of the most passionate illustrations of God's love affair with humanity is found in the book of Hosea. And I want to unpack this story for us this morning as an illustration, a metaphor 
of God's relationship with us. It is so poignant. It is so powerful. And if we can receive the truth of it, it will help us very much. This story occurs during Israel's last days of growth and prosperity under a king named Jeroboam, Jeroboam II. We find the story of the nation in 2 Kings chapter 14, and here we see the nation prosperous. It's the last days of prosperity and generosity in the, in the nation of Israel. But as is, often, as is often the case, where there is blessing and prosperity in a nation, people tend to drift away from God. Does that make any sense in today's culture? Where, there, where there's materialistic blessing and much prosperity and the favor and blessing of God, people tend, under those circumstances historically, to drift away from God. And indeed, that's exactly what the people of Israel had done in this case as well. And so the book of Hosea reveals Hosea's real-life marriage to a woman named Gomer. You have to get, have to get around that. Apparently... Back in the day, Gomer was a, a common female name. And Hosea's relationship with his wife, Gomer, is illustrative, as I say, a metaphor, if you will, of God's relationship with his people, Israel. Now, Hosea was told by God, and we find this earlier in, in the book of Hosea, he's told by God to marry a wife of whoredom. That's in the text. And to have children of whoredom. And so Hosea knowingly married a prostitute with all of her attendant brokenness and self-doubt. This was God's mandate. This is the call of God on Hosea's life. I want you to marry a prostitute. Have children with a prostitute. So we make the connection. God chose Abraham and the Jewish people not on their own merit or because of their moral fortitude. Make the connection now. He chose Abraham. God chose the Jewish people not because of their qualities or their merit or, as I say, their moral fortitude, but because he just chose them. He loved them. He picked them out. And likewise, he has chosen us in spite of our obvious weaknesses. Can I get a witness? He's chosen us not because we're unique or special, but because he chose us in spite of our weaknesses. And in addition, God willfully entered into this marriage with us, knowing full well that his people, we, would play the harlot, knowing full well that we would from time to time stray and walk away from him. So Hosea represents God's relentless pursuing love. So it's a wonderful illustration. And Hosea's wife of prostitution, Gomer, represents God's people, not only the Israelites of the day, but of you and me as well. Now, of course, I don't know what Hosea expected from a wife named Gomer. I mean, golly, Gomer, please. But nevertheless. Now, let's pick up the story. Let's try to understand this story. This, it's a remarkable story, and, and we'll begin with this first point I want to make, which emphasizes our infidelity. After the birth of their three children, they did have three babies together. They've got three small children. Hosea's wife deserts him. Gomer leaves Hosea. Here's a husband, a faithful husband, and three small children, and she abandons her family. This is what she did. And we don't understand why she did it. We don't understand her pain, her wounds, her distorted self-concept. We don't understand 
her level of brokenness. But this is what Gomer does. She returns to the dysfunction and the warped sense of love, acceptance, and meaning that she finds through prostitution. So she abandons her family and goes right back to prostituting herself. It's insane. But again, we don't understand or comprehend. We don't know her story. We don't, we don't know why she's doing this. She lived with other men and apparently was at last forced to sell herself as a bondservant. So she went from man to man to man. And remember, Hosea, he's not some obscure guy in the culture. He's a prophet of God, and everybody knows him, and he, he has a reputation in town. And here's Gomer, and she abandons him and, and these children, and everybody's aware of it. And it's shameful, and it's embarrassing, and it's horrible, and it's, it's so destructive in so, so many ways. It's just wrong. And Gomer goes from man to man to man until she runs out the string. She's no longer a young woman now. She has bore three children. She is worn out. And she is no longer desired for the purpose of prostitution, and she has nothing left. She's homeless. She's destitute. She's out there. She has one recourse, and that is to sell herself as a slave. And so she takes herself to the market, the slave market of the day, and puts herself on the docket. And she's going to stand up in front of a crowd of bidders, and the highest bidder is going to take her home and use her for whatever purpose. She's a bond slave. She's a common slave. And that is going to be her end. Now, remember, this story mirrors our relationship with a loving and accepting God. Remember this. We are called to love God exclusively, right? No other gods before him. To have no other idols before him. But we are broken. We are not dissimilar from Gomer. We, we have self-doubt. We have wounds. We have brokenness, every single one of us. And all of us from time to time get diminished and distracted by a thousand different forces that occasionally cause us then to fail and to run and hide from God. Maybe you're in a place like that right now. You've disappointed yourself. You have drifted away. And you've layered yourself emotionally from important relationships, even from your relationship with God. Hmm. Gomer's prostitution and adultery then represents the idolatry of God's people. We are broken. We make poor choices that ultimately disappoint and grieve God. So in the midst of Gomer's adultery and betrayal and the humiliation and shame that comes with all of that, God speaks to Hosea. Now follow this story. God tells Hosea, this is what I want you to do. It's in Hosea 3, verse 1. It says, go and show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Now, you following this? She's living with another man. She's had multiple affairs, is now homeless and penniless, and has to present herself for auction as a common slave. And God says, Hosea, go to the slave auction and in the front of the whole community, knowing full well the embarrassment and shame it will bring to you and your children, and I want you to buy her back. Not only buy her back, but take her back. Make her the mother of your children. Bring her back to your home. Bring her back to your bed. Love her as God loves Israel. Now, I don't know about you. I have to admit this would strain me perhaps to the breaking point. 
I would have to almost, you know, I can, remember, I can imagine myself pushing back and say, are you kidding? Are you crazy? You, I am the wrong man for this job. I mean, don't you think we've done enough to try to help that woman? And these children, look, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put these children and myself through this again to set ourselves up for this kind of disappointment and this kind of pain. We are not going to do it. I think we're done. <laughs> It'd be easy to go there, right? Very tempting to go here. Yet, this scandalous biblical account testifies to the outrageous pursuing love of God for a broken world. This is the point that God wants us to receive. This is one of his favorite things, which is to love us in a scandalous way, to love us in spite of us, to love us when we are absolutely unlovable, to love us unconditionally, no matter what, no matter how far we drift, no matter how far we stray, no matter how deeply we have hidden ourselves from God in meaningful relationships, the pursuing love of God wants to get you. It's awesome. It's, an ama it's scandalous is what it is. That's the best word for it. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter what anyone else in the community thought. It didn't matter what anyone else believed. God calls Hosea back to his wife. God loves us and wants us even while we remain under the influence of unworthy lovers such as greed, selfishness, addiction, and deceit. So God has come to buy us back. It's good news, isn't it? It's really good news. Now, let's continue the story with this second thought, which is how necessary it is to trust the promise, trusting the promises. Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, we, we get her story, don't we? Had every reason to feel betrayed and abandoned by God. She's a teenager, unmarried, pregnant, layers of economic and social complexity, legal ramifications. She could be stoned to death because of her pregnant condition. Nevertheless, Mary clung through all of this confusion to the promises of God. She held tightly to the angel's words when, when Gabriel first addressed her, saying, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And she actually believed that. It was confusing. The circumstances impossible to comprehend. Uh, you can't, we, we can't even comprehend what the, what the ramifications might be, incredible complexities, and yet she hung on to the promises of God. No matter what, she stayed with the notion that she was favored, that God was with her. And that was very important. It didn't matter what anyone else in the community would think or say about her condition. She, she hung on to that. And she, she ends up uh, writing and saying this beautiful Magnificat. We find it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And at the end of this beautiful prayer, this beautiful song, she, she concludes by saying, And my soul glorifies the Lord. <laughs> now, she had no reason to be at peace. She had no reason to be hopeful. She had no reason except that God had given a promise to her. And so I just, I just, I want to float this out there today. Trust in God's promises. Trust in God's promises. Trust his promises. No matter what. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust God's promises to redeem your life? Do you trust him? To love you and want your love in return no matter what kind of mess you've made of your life? It's important that you do. 
You might find yourself even in this moment in a frustrating season of life. Maybe your savings have been stripped away, your college fund is eroded, foreclosure on your home, retirement plans put on hold. Maybe there's upheaval in your family, your personal life. Maybe you're faced with a life-threatening illness, the death of a loved one. Maybe you're in the throes of the severe consequences of addiction, going through the pain of divorce. Any or all of those things have the potential to utterly devastate. Maybe it's hard for you to hear this morning that you are favored and blessed as a child of God, that God is with you. Maybe it's hard for you to hear that. Rather, you've been listening to the Lord of lies who tells you, you screwed up. You've royally screwed up. You've disappointed God. You're favored. But God will never be with you. I think about King David who models for us in so many ways what it means to live authentically in his relationship with God in spite of failure. King David, as you know, committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah killed. That's a royal disaster right there. Murder, conspiracy, adultery. But who among us hasn't royally screwed up? Who among us hasn't royally messed up? We all identify with that. But David got that sorted out with God, and the Bible teaches us that he returned to a vital faith, evidenced by gratitude and worship. I've made an observation over the years as I've been a Christian now these decades those who have messed up the most respond with the greatest gratitude for God for his relentless love. I've noticed this, that those who have been forgiven most tend to love God the most. See, it's the people who realize they're not worthy of God's mercy and forgiveness who are the ones who are most appreciative of it, the ones who are humble enough to understand that it's not about them and their failure, but it's about God's grand, pursuing, unconditional, scandalous love that will love us no matter what, that will actually walk down to the slave market in the middle of a community among everybody who knows you and knows who you are and knows your status and knows the pain that this woman has caused you and your family and you walk right into the middle of that crowd and when the auction starts for that woman, you start laying down bids until you become the highest bidder and you pay for her again and then you take her home with you. That's scandalous. But that's what Jesus did. That's what he did for you and for me. Amazing. It's an amazing love. Listen, this, this story is the desanitized version of Christmas. This isn't a sweet baby in a manger cooing at his mother. This is a broken down, hopeless woman, completely empty of any of her dignity. Nothing is left. And her husband comes down and, and buys her back and takes her home. <sighs> That's what Christmas is about. Mm -hmm. Listen, if you find yourself in a bad place today, could I just encourage you? Seek God's peace. That little baby, he's the prince of peace. Seek his peace. The angels announce peace on earth goodwill toward men. Seek his peace. There is a peace that God can provide to you even in the midst of a horrible place, a peace that passes all understanding. There's no explanation for it. There's no good reason for it. The, none of the circumstances point to a hopeful conclusion. You're in the middle of it. You're in hell, 
and yet you have God's peace. Seek God's peace. And let me say this to you as well. This is just practical stuff. If you find yourself in a bad place right now, you're going through hell, listen, don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. Don't stop. If you're going through hell, keep moving. I'm just, I, this is so horrible, I can, I can barely function. Okay, barely function, that's close enough. Barely function for a while. But keep moving, keep leaning forward. Don't stop, don't get stuck in that place. If you're going through hell, keep moving. Because one of these days you'll climb out of that little ditch and you'll go, thank God I'm not in hell anymore. I made it, I made it through hell. Yeah. So keep moving. Trust in God's peace because he's with you. Well, then that causes us ultimately to come to a place where the coin gets flipped and we actually can be instruments of this same kind of scandalous love. We could practice scandalous love. This is my last thought. There's going to be a role reversal when Jesus comes back. Most of you are aware of this. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, the humble know that they're handicapped. The humble know they need the mercy of God because they don't deserve the mercy of God. But when Jesus returns, those who have been despised and insulted, those are the people who will be exalted. The, the first, in this upside-down kingdom of Jesus, the first will actually be last, and the last will become first. Jesus said if you want to be greatest among all the people, then you become the servant of all. What Jesus taught us is that the first one down wins. Not the first one to climb to the top wins, but the first one down is the winner. Now, we can practice God's kind of scandalous love, and we see people through the lens of this upside-down kingdom, this reversal. Rather than praising people who are on top of the heap, we lift up the poor. That's our instinct, because we understand that the world is upside-down. And so rather than extolling the virtues of people who climb to the top, we reach down to the people who are at the bottom and we try to lift them up, encourage them, because one of these days, it's all going to flip. So rather than condemning those facing trials, we want to support them and offer encouragement to them. And that's the way we should love and encourage one another in these ways. That's why we take up a Christmas offering this time of year, because we want to bless hundreds of families at Christmas time, just to say we want to encourage you, we want to lift you up. You, you might not have Christmas, and we want to make sure you have a special Christmas with your family and your children. And why we're taking up this Habitat build, so that we can bless this family that's showing all the signs of, of wanting to do everything that they can to improve their life, and we come alongside of them and say, we're going to lift you up just another notch, because that's what we do. When Mary faced the shocking and confusing news of her virgin pregnancy, she immediately sought out the wise and godly counsel of her older cousin, Elizabeth. You remember this story. Mary, now pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth, who is also pregnant with John the Baptist. This is a, a powerful moment. And there's no question that this young pregnant teenager was going to find all kinds of criticism and ostracism from her community. I mean, she knows it's coming. And she's going to hear a bunch of junk from everyone else. So she wisely goes to someone that she knows and loves and trusts. She goes to her older cousin, Elizabeth. And to her credit and to Elizabeth's eternal credit,
credit the first words this confused young girl hears from her cousin's mouth when they see each other for the first time, both in this uh, pregnant condition, she says to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among all, of all the women in the world, you are the most blessed one. Yeah, this is in the cacophony of pregnant teenager, out of wedlock, shameful, horrible, deserving of death, this can't be tolerated. All of that, all of that nonsense is going to be pressed in against Mary, and Mary wisely goes to talk to someone she loves and trusts, and the first thing she says is, of all the blessings in the world, you have the choice of. <laughs> now that's helpful, isn't it? I wonder how many miracles... I wonder how many miracles in our lives, in the lives of the people we know, get aborted because of put-down and sarcasm and negativity and, and false judgment. I wonder how many. We can't carry God's miracles to full term apart from the encouragement and the fellowship and the accountability that comes from being connected to a tight network of people who love us, accept us, and forgive us just the way we are. And so that should be our MO. That should be our position, that we're going to love people and accept them and forgive them. Encourage them along the way because they have a better future. Let's be promise bearers for one another. Let's remind people of God's miraculous, scandalous ways of reversing the tide and transforming our lives. I, I, I always find humorous uh, the, the cynical voices that emerge in our culture that, that ridicule people of faith in seasons like this. And one of the voices of ridicule oftentimes takes up the notion out of their own cynicism, personal experience and cynicism say, nobody ever really changes. You talk about a transforming relationship with God. It's, it's all bogus because no one ever gets better. Really? Really? How pitiful a position that is. Because listen, knowing Jesus matters. He makes a difference in people's lives. He makes a difference in my life, and I know in your life as well. He does have transforming power, and his scandalous love caught up with us, and it's made a difference. And so we want to share that love with others. When forgiveness is offered, what I've discovered over the years is that wandering people are drawn back home. Though we may not deserve it, God showed us mercy, and God sent God's Son to show us the way home. Jesus came to earth as a tiny baby in humble, scandalous circumstances, and the reason he came was to redeem and restore broken places and broken hearts. And that's why we love to celebrate Christmas, because it's that kind of love that God has extended to us, and it's that kind of love that he wishes us to extend to others as well. Well, do you believe these things? I hope you do. Let's pray for a little while this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray today uh, after we stand with your heads up and your eyes open. I want to put a few questions on the screen for us. And the answer to these questions, as you contemplate them privately, quietly, will form your prayer. So would you stand as you're able and let's uh, look at the screen, please. And this will be our prayer. First question is this. Do you really believe that God loves you madly? Passionately, unconditionally. Think about that. Now, if you don't believe it, if you're hesitating right now, 
How can you explain that parent or that spouse or that friend or that child who has loved you so thoroughly? How do you explain that? How do you explain Christmas apart from God's scandalous love for you? He does love you. You think about that. Here's the second question. God promises to bring good out of bad, to raise up the lowly, to comfort the afflicted. Rehearse that line again with me. He promises to bring good out of bad. We all get the bad, right? Yeah, I know bad. I've been bad. But God promises to bring good out of bad, to raise up the lowly, to comfort the afflicted. How would you view your life if you trusted completely in those promises? Would you see yourself differently? Would you live differently? Would you give differently? Would you react differently? Let that be your prayer. Here's the last question. What would it mean for us to love others scandalously? What would it mean? How would that be different from the safe, cautious ways we often show Christ's love in the world? We play it safe a lot, don't we? Hosea walked right into the slave market that day. That's as bold, that's as bold as it gets. Walked right into the middle of the pain and the hopelessness and redeemed it. What are some of the ways that we might express this same kind of scandalous love to others? Make that your prayer. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers this morning. And we thank you for your scandalous love toward us. We believe this is one of your favorite things, to express your love to us. And so we receive it today. And Lord, as we are recipients of this love, Make us those who then express this love to others, we pray in Jesus' name. The people said.